Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. It is really lovely to be here, especially because England is incredibly grey and dull right now. And when we got here on Friday, it was like we stepped into hell, really, in terms of <laughs> temperature-wise. Uh, <laughs> sorry, was that, that was wrong. <laughs> I didn't mean that in a, I meant that in a positive light, not that you should, uh, sorry. <laughs> It was, uh, it was very hot, wasn't it? Anyway, uh, every great revival is born out of prayer. Every great revival is sustained by prayer. And every great revival gives birth to more prayer. Wherever you see a move of God around the world, there'll be people praying. Wherever you see someone giving their life to Jesus, someone will have prayed. Whenever we see breakthrough, there's prayer. When I see church growth, kind of like wanna, you know, you read the strategy books and all that, but it tends to be prayer. It tends to be prayer. And when we see mission effectiveness, there's prayer. And I love the idea that a praying church can affect change and transformation in a way that it's really hard to explain because it's supernatural. That every time we pray, something happens. And so I'm, I, that's, that's my passion and my heart. As a young man, I was, I, uh, my, I was born in Ireland. We moved to England. My dad was a Baptist minister. Uh, we moved to England. I've got four brothers. And we're Northern Irish, no emotion, none of that kind of stuff. Uh, got, to, got to England 19, in, in the late 70s, before when the world was still black and white. And then uh, in, in 1981, my, my mother passed away of ovarian cancer. I was 11 years old. It was a very uh, quick, you know, diagnosed in the January, passed away in the March. Very, very sad for us as a family. We obviously couldn't, my dad's, Typical Northern Irish male. So I didn't know how to cook or anything. I mean, just basically didn't know how to do any of the, 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 the softer skills, you know. And so we, we ended up, um, you know, as, as brothers, we struggled with our faith. And I, and I really struggled with mine. And by the time I was 18, I was homeless. I was, you know, uh, you know relatively regular drug user. And I'd been in and out of prison on remand a number of occasions for uh, different offences. And I was sitting in a probation hostel in a town called Ipswich in Suffolk. And uh, I, was, I was just sitting on the end of my bed. A probation hostel is a place you go to to get rehabilitated. And, you know, you meet and it's, it's, it's an interesting concept. If prison worked, by the way, why does the prison population keep growing? I'm not saying we don't put people in prison. I just sometimes think that there's, there's a systemic problem that needs to be dealt with as well. But that's a whole other talk. And uh, the, so, I'm, so I'm sitting on the end of my bed and I'm like, I'm messed up. I have no friends. I'm broken. I've walked away from God. I, uh, I'm involved in drugs. I've got a criminal record. I, I had, I've been expelled from college. I had no, like qualifications, and I just went, God, if you are real, save me. Right? If you are real, save me. And then I had someone to give me a Bible, Australian guy actually, called George Harris. And, uh, and I, I got this Bible and I threw it open on my bed and I said, God, if you're real, save me. And I flicked a bit 
and I landed on Isaiah 59. And it says, is the arm of the Lord so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear too dull to hear? And I thought, wow, God, you really have just answered me that you can reach in anywhere and you can hear anyone. And I guess it was then that I became really alive with prayer and realized that we have a God who listens, but we also have a God who intervenes. I do believe in an interventionist God. I do believe that God reaches in and transforms, that he's yearning to reach in and touch lives and change lives and transform people. And so when that probation hostel moment came, I was on my bed and I said, God, I'm going to give you my life. And he went, how long for? Was kind of the thought I had in my head. Because I'd had a, a lot of that. Do you know what I mean? Like go forward in a meeting, slightly emotional, give my life to Jesus. And on Monday morning, someone offers me a big spliff. I smoke it and then I feel really guilty and I walk away from God again. So I'd had this kind of bouncing around kind of faith thing. And uh, I said, okay, God, I will give you the rest of my life. And it was like, something happened. Something happened. And so that's how I love prayer. Because uh, I, I know it works. I don't just believe it works. It works. And, and then I moved to live in a church, live with some friends who were leaders of the church that I eventually became the senior pastor of. So, from, so I, I'll tell you what else I believe in, the redemptive power of community. That when people get saved, they get brought into a community like this and they learn something and they grow. I learned how to argue properly. Do you know what I mean? And I lived with this couple who were Christians and they fell out, but they didn't. You know, I had an argument with my brother once and I kicked the hole through the door with a knife because he spilled some ketchup on me. Do you know what I mean? So, so they showed us how to dial that whole thing down <laughs> and do it differently. So <laughs> just, just, yeah. And so we really just believe in, in, in the power of prayer and the power of community. So there's nothing more powerful than a praying community that when you are crying out to God for breakthrough, that something's happening. Every time you pray, something's happening. So I thought it'd be really good for us this morning just to look briefly at a moment of prayer in the Bible. So if we look at Acts chapter 3, verse 10, 1 to 10, I'm going to read this to you. It's a beautiful story. Peter and John, they go to the temple every day. What you found quite early on, quite quickly in the birth of the church was that they prayed regularly, that there was a free time a day prayer in the Jewish system, which they just kind of took on board. And that regular prayer went on, you know, Clement was doing it in Alexandra. It went right through to Benedict 600 years later. So there was this kind of like the early church had a regular rhythm of prayer. And, it, and just like we talk about having the regular rhythm of prayer now, it was what actually sustained and helped them grow and move. So this regular rhythm of prayer, they would go to the temple three times a day, sometimes to connect, but generally to pray. And here we have Peter and John who are just going to pray. They're just doing what they always do. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, but three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gates called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's a beautiful story. It's, they say those two chapters, chapter three and four of Acts, they read a bit like St. Mark, you know, the, the, the books of Mark, because there's a kind of like a, an immediacy to it, a, a rapidity of action that takes place in those two chapters. It's also, the, the, the church is enjoying a real time of favor. You know, so in Acts 2, it talks about God, that, that they found favor of all people. And so Luke could have used any one of, there's lots of miracles and signs and wonders, but here he uses this because this is the beginning of when the church becomes persecuted. This is the first incident of the church being persecuted. If we read on, I mean, obviously, this just looks like a brilliant story right now. But as you know, when you get to chapter four, it takes a turn. We're not going to read it all. But there is this sense of they are a praying church and they are regularly doing it. And God is all over it. They have favor. God is smiling on them. Peter and John are walking up to temple one day. And it's like... I've got sons, two sons. When they were little, when they would mess around in public and I didn't want to embarrass them by telling them off, I would do this. <clears throat> Has any parent ever done that here? Or something similar? It's a noise. It's not, it doesn't really mean anything else. It's just a little, <clears throat> where you just kind of like, it's a little prompt, like, son, if you keep messing around, when I get home, you, you know, there's going to be an issue. We're going to, we're, I don't mean like an aggressive one, but we're going to talk about this. You know, so it's my way of signaling to my children. And they know me because I'm their dad. We've spent time together. We've, you know, they've grown up with me. So they know the intonation of my voice. They know what I'm saying. They know my looks. They know when I, you know, my boys know when I'm doing a fake smile. Where often they'd say, dad, you were fake smiling that waitress, even though she was, because I get grump, I get hangry. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, great. Thank you for being 10 minutes late. I don't ever say 10 minutes. I don't ever passive aggressive, but I have a fake smile. And they know because they grow up with you. And so, so here you've got Peter and John. <laughs> They're walking along. They're going to the, the temple. And it's almost like God goes, <clears throat> isn't it? It's like this little, <clears throat> I can always picture Peter having almost walked by and stopping and turning around. And, and, and it's, it's this kind of interruption that takes place. And as I was praying about coming here and what would the Lord have me share with you guys, I, there was two really little things. And the first one was this interruption. And so the, interestingly, the first, the, one of the words that are used for prayer in Aramaic, which is the language they would have all spoken, was this word called slofa. Now they would have spoke Hebrew as well. And it literally means to set a trap. To set your mind like a trap and wait patiently to catch the thoughts of God. I thought it's beautiful. That is to trap inner guidance and impulses, attentiveness, adjustment, or even just simply tuning in. So here's what I think happens, is that when we have a regular time of prayer, when we build into our lives rhythms of prayer, and when we are people who pray regularly, that we tune in. 
And when we tune in to God, we more easily recognize him when he comes and interrupts us. If my rhythm does not allow for interruption, I become a mildly tad religious. Okay? But we need to live a life that is, <laughs> as happened to Peter and John, that is interruptible. That is a word, by the way. And uh, so they have this regular rhythm, but it's about tuning in. Prayer is, for me, when I go to a prayer, I'm, I'm tuning in. I'm, I'm starting to understand God. I'm, I'm starting to think about him. I'm starting to know his ways. I'm starting to hear his voice. I'm reading his word. I'm understanding him. I'm spending time in his presence. I'm getting to know him. I'm growing up with God so that eventually I know whenever he goes, <clears throat> I get to know his little, <clears throat> his little interruptions. And I think for us as Christians, we need to be the people who are easily interrupted. I don't know, I don't mean distracted, because I'm, I'm easily distracted. I don't know about you. We, me and Tracy used to do prayer walking around uh, the, the Ibiza. We used to walk, we used to do every day, we'd prayer walk for five, five miles around this thing. And I was so easily distracted. We'd pray walking and there'd be like a sail on in a shop. And before you know, I'd be in there, <laughs> do you mean looking at jeans? I mean, you're meant to be like praying for the salvation of the town. And I'd be like, oh, these diesel jeans are half price. I don't know if that happens to anyone else. Or during a prayer time. Does this ever happen to you during your prayer times? Like, I was reading Romans the other day, and I thought, oh, Romans, I haven't never been to Rome. I'd love to go to Rome. And then, no, but this, it gets worse, because then you think, Rome? Didn't we have some pasta around Tracy's mum? Yes, we did. Where did it, yeah, pasta, oh, yeah. And then she had that pavlova, and on the pavlova, there's some strawberries. There's some strawberries for sale. I said, where did I see them? Oh, in Tesco, there's some strawberries. Oh, that reminds me, when we were around Tracy's mum the other day, she was like, uh, can I borrow your pressure washer? I haven't lent her my pressure washer. And then before you know it, I'm thinking, maybe I should get her a pressure washer. And then I'm on eBay looking at mid-price pressure washers in March, thinking about a late Christmas present for January. And that all began by reading Romans. So, so believe me, I know how to get distracted. Uh, it's, uh, it's like a trance. I'm just off on one. And so, but it's not that. It's about being interrupted. It's about positioning ourselves to be interrupted by God. And I was just thinking about Moses, say, in the desert. God comes along in Exodus 3. What does he do? He interrupts him. Interrupts him. In fact, if you start to look through the Bible, there are men and women constantly interrupted by God. And the idea is that they're tuned in enough to recognize. They were tuned in enough to hear the voice of God. Uh, I love Samuel. I like Samuel because I feel Samuel's a bit like me. It took God three goes to interrupt Samuel. You know, God is not, by the way, this is something I've learned, and I think it's a really important and key part of our Christian faith. God is not frightened of repetition. Okay, he's not frightened to go, Brian, come on. And he, I mean, he doesn't speak to me like that, but you know, kind of keeps, keeps reminding, come on, come on. And, and eventually you get it. And he doesn't tell me off because he's had to repeat himself. He didn't tell Samuel off because he had to repeat himself. God is not frightened of repetition, but sometimes we need to, it's when we start to realize, my goodness, God said that three, four, five times. And so I would be concerned if, if my, even if my rule of life or my rhythm of prayer was not interruptible. <laughs> we need to have interruptible Lives. And I started to think about, well, one, when I was young, someone said to me, Brian, when you preach, you've always got to come up with this one question is, yes, but how? You know, yes, but how? 
How, how, does, how, do we, how does God interrupt? Where does God want to interrupt? How does God want to interrupt our lives? And I was thinking about this. Actually, I had a whole other little section, but I was thinking about this at two o'clock in the morning. I don't know, I was wide awake. So I thought, I'm just, and I started to think about Genesis 12, one to four. And if, let's just have a look at that. This is an interruption. Now, Abraham's gone to uh, Haran. Haran is a trading post. It's a wealthy, good place to be. It says his dad, you know, Terah settled there and died, which is kind of a bit scary. It didn't say he sinned, it just said he settled there and died. And I sometimes worry that the church could settle there and die, if I'm honest, if you read Genesis 11, the last verse. So let's just be careful. But Genesis 12, 1 to 4, God comes and interrupts Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. I love that. Abraham was obedient to the interruption. But I, when you look at that, there's three kind of things that happen when it comes to it being interrupted. The first is this, go from your country. Here's a triplet. You always have to take notice of triplets in the Bible. You know, because why didn't God just say go? So there's something important here. And, and so go from your country. There's, can I just say that's a geographical relocation. Sometimes God interrupts for geographical relocation. Tracy and I were leading a church in Norfolk, England, and God came and interrupted our lives through a whole load of signs, and we took our two sons to go and live in Ibiza because God interrupted. There was geographical relocation that took place. Sometimes God wants to come and say, you need to move. But I was thinking about that. Is God, you know, there's a big crowd of us here and then it would be dreadful for Mark and the team if like you all said, oh, we're moving, you know. So, but, what, but the other thing about geographical relocation is this, is that you have to say goodbye. And sometimes God interrupts us because we have to say goodbye to some stuff. We have to say goodbye to some stuff. In some way, it may literally mean geography, but for others, we may have to say goodbye to something we love. I don't know if you've ever moved. It's horrible saying goodbye. It's painful. You cry, you weep, you know, your parent, well, my brother, Evan, he's a fireman. So when we moved, we left to go and live in Ibiza for eight years. He came around, he went, all right, Brian. I went, right, Evan. He went, see you later. I went, see you later. Then he said, I've got to go to the gym now. And then he was off. <laughs> Tracy's family were all there like weeping and wailing. But, uh, and sorry. <laughs> They, 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 she has sisters, I have brothers. It's a different vibe. And so, <laughs> but we do, saying, when we are asked to relocate, we do have to say goodbye. And sometimes it's to something we love or some things that mark us as, or that we see as successful. Do you know when God interrupted Peter and Peter goes, I haven't got any money. Do you, know, do you know that you were actually meant to take money with you? Most people who went to the temple did have money. And they, that's why he was positioned there, because there was an expectation that people would either give alms on the way in or alms on the way out. He had to, he had to say goodbye to his pride and actually be humble enough to lead with, don't have any money. Obviously, he had a, I mean, he, God did get him right out of it. Do you know what I mean? With like, but silver and gold have I none, but you know, what I do have, I give to you. But I do think that sometimes when God interrupts, 
He's asking us to say goodbye to things. So if God's spirit moves upon you, what do you need to say goodbye to? Geographical relocation. It might literally, God might be nudging some of you to move somewhere, to move closer, to move further, but it might be there's things that we need to say goodbye to. The other thing I, I'm fascinated is that he says, leave your people. He kind of like, the first one's geography, the second one's tribal, and that's really about identity. You know, it's like you're, it's a tribal dislocation. You know, you have to leave your people. Like, these are my people. So there's an identity thing that happens when God interrupts. God wants to come and interrupt us around our identity, about who we think we are and who he thinks we are. He wants to come and break in and speak to us and interrupt our lives. And I mean, he's all, Jesus has already done this with Peter. He said, no longer you're going to be called Simon, but you're going to be called Cephas. You're going to be called Peter. Upon the, you know, so the, there's an identity thing that happens. When God interrupts Saul on the road to Damascus, what happens? Becomes Paul. It's interesting. When God, uh, you know, when Jacob wrestles with an angel, which is quite a major interruption of your sleep, an angel, you know, attacks you and you're like wrestling. And I mean, last night I was just jet lagged. There was no angels wrestling or anything like that. But, and what happens is there's an identity thing that happens. He says, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. You're going to be Israel. So there's something that happens when God interrupts. He wants to come and speak to identity, who we are. And I, I notice this as a prayerful people that there's, that, that there's always something that happens deep inside us, that God does a transformative work in us, but we need to allow him to interrupt and point out and say, that needs to change. This is who you really are. This is what you need to get rid of. This is what you need to say goodbye to. It's not all negative and stripped back. It's actually all about stepping into who we really are meant to be. I've discovered that we don't actually change much. We just spend our lives becoming more of who we were meant to be. The, you know, so <laughs> if you think about it, Joseph was a leader. So what happens, he's a leader in prison. And then what happens, well, he's a leader in Potiphar's house. Then he's a leader in prison. Then he becomes a leader in a nation. David, what's David? He's a shepherd, looks after sheep. What happens when he gets, he's hiding in the cave? All the disenfranchised come and gather to him. He's a shepherd. What eventually becomes known as the shepherd king. So we spend our lives becoming more of who we're meant to be. And God just wants to shape us and push us in that direction by gently interrupting us. We need to be open for that tribal dislocation. And the final little interruption I think needs to happen is, <laughs> this is an interesting one. So Peter's like, identity has been rocked. Peter has like, you know, he's had to do, you know, he's had to like say goodbye to his pride and admit he doesn't have any money. And, but the other thing is this, that, that when you leave your father's house, that's the interruption of changing your thinking. It's never been done this way. The, the way the father's house is, this is how my dad used to do it. This is the way he did things. This is, you know, there's, there's actually, if God, God probably wants to interrupt some of us for new ways of thinking differently, new ways of being and thinking. And so, you know, it's, uh, and, and it happens again to Peter when you look at Acts chapter 10. What is he? He's in the middle of the day. Once again, daily rhythm of prayer. It says it's noon. He's in Simon the Tanner's house. He's sitting up on the roof. He's praying. What happens? God interrupts. What does God do? It's not just a mild interruption. This is the interruption that takes the church away from just feeling itself as a, uh, a, a Jewish sect. It's the interruption that leads the church into the Gentile world where he ends up going to Cornelius's. So he has to change his thinking. 
So God sometimes wants to come and interrupt us in our thinking. And sometimes, you know, God just wants to interrupt us because he wants to take us on adventures. It was Helen Keller who said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. I like that. I love Lord of the Rings because, I don't know, you couldn't get through a Christian talk really without mentioning Lord of the Rings <laughs> a couple of years ago. I wonder how to get on with it in New Zealand. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Hobbits everywhere. Anyway, uh, <laughs> too soon? <laughs> no, sorry. But, uh, you know, there's like that whole thing, right, of like, when the, when the Hobbit, when Bilbo's sitting and all the dwarves come and, it, and they're talking and they're singing their songs and, and it, I love that line, it says, then something Turkish awoke up inside of him and he wished to go and see the great mountains and hear the pine trees and the waterfalls and explore the caves and wear a sword instead of a walking stick. I love that. Sometimes God just wants to interrupt because he just wants to take you on an adventure. I think that's exciting. I think the interruptions that he wants to do in our lives are really <laughs> important. But do you know what? I've just noticed one thing. Interruptions will always lead to a bit of resistance. When God starts to move, God starts to, God's interrupting you guys in your church. God's interrupting stuff. I can see it. It's here. God wants to interrupt you. He wants to interrupt what you're doing. He wants to, not in a kind of like you're doing it wrong way, but just like, I just, you're up for it. And the minute a church gets up for it, God starts doing it. But you know what happens? Resistance comes. It's always resistance, always resistance. What happens to Peter and John? They get dragged before the Sanhedrin. You know, the Sanhedrin say, you can't do this anymore. Now, the Sanhedrin were not just like the parish council. In fact, this was the great Sanhedrin. The great Sanhedrin were 72 men who could literally have you executed. You know, so the Sanhedrin were this powerful group who said, they said to Peter and John, no, you can't do it. You can't, you can't keep speaking about Jesus. In, I love, don't you love the line as well in Acts 4? It says, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But it's, you can't keep doing it. You can't keep doing it. And Peter and John had said, no, but we're going <laughs> to. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And so you're going to come against resistance whenever God interrupts your life. Do you know, one of the most exciting things that we see is that the biggest resistance probably to the gospel is in Iran. The fastest growing church is also in Iran. Where things are contested, God tends to be moving. When there's contesting, it normally means God is moving. It normally means that God is on the move. And in Iran right now, the church, I've got a beautiful picture of about 60 people getting baptized all in one go in Iran. It's phenomenal. God is on the move where things are being contested. And so my final thought is they get told you can't talk anymore, you can't do this. You read Acts 3 and 4, you'll love it. It's great. And uh, it's a real, that was a skim over the whole two chapters there. And uh, <laughs> let's look at a little bit of Acts 4, shall we? Thank you. This is the prayer that the church prays. So what happens? Peter and John goes back. Interesting couple of little things, just a little side note. One is they pray together. So there's something about the church praying together. In the, in the earlier verses, it says, you know, I should have had it all up now. I'm going to talk about it. But, you know, they raise their voices together in prayer to God. There is something about the church coming together. There's also something about raising our voices. So the, I remember once someone said to me, I, I don't do that praying out loud thing. You know, but, we, you know, it's kind of a biblical thing. 
I know it's hard if you're an introvert, but it is a biblical thing, and I want to agree with your prayer. I want to say amen to your prayers. I think there's something about the church coming together and making a noise together. And I know, I don't know, I was going to say you're all terribly British. It kind of feels like you are sometimes. Do you know what I mean? A bit frightened to make a noise. Don't embarrass yourselves. Do you know what I mean? The British people are like that as well. I'm not saying all Australians are like that, but you know, you're in Korea and that's not happening. You're in Africa and it's not, you know, it's, but I'm not saying we have to change who we are culturally, but there is something about coming together as church and raising our voices together as church. Biblical. Happened all the time. Every time they were contested, every time something happened, every time there was a challenge, they met together and they prayed. And so and then they say this, now, Lord, because they've been told you've got to be quiet or things are going to happen. Now, Lord, I'll read it from there. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders for the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love it. <laughs> and now, God, consider their threats. One commentator said this was their resolve to persevere. This was their resolve to persevere. Another commentator says this was their determination to persevere. He obviously just used the source and checked, changed slightly what the other guy said. But there's definitely something in this that they, God interrupts, God starts moving, this prayerful, praying people, and opposition comes, and they, they don't say, destroy the opposition, do this, get it, you know, say, what an outrage. No, 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 no. They say, God, give us the strength to keep going. God, give us the strength to keep going. We want to keep going. And so a little story for you. At, at the same time when my mother died and I told you I had some difficulties, my dad prayed. And, you know, when I was 20, I came back to Jesus. I'm 53 now. Uh, at the same time, my elder brother, he also walked away from Jesus. And about mm, eight years ago, he came back to the Lord. It's beautiful, beautiful thing. And... Uh, maybe 10 years ago now, actually, but anyway. I remember going to my dad and saying, Dad, isn't it great what's happened to my brother? He's come back to Jesus. And my dad went, yeah, pray for him every single day. Every single day. And I was like, this isn't embarrassing. No one's allowed to like, is there anyone in this room under 30? There's a few. So my dad prayed for my brother for longer than you've been alive and didn't see anything happen. Didn't see anything happen. Persevere. Don't give up. We, 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 we were in Ibiza. We had the joy of working with these ladies who were trafficked, and they, they were, they were the, the thing they had to do was prostitution, but they, they, we don't call them prostitutes because that's not their name. And they wouldn't talk to us, you know. Tracy and I would try and chat with them, and they wouldn't chat, and they wouldn't talk to anybody. We thought we need to reach out to these girls. And uh, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. Uh, for five years, nothing happened. Nothing, nothing happened. And then one, of them, one day, some of our people had a chat with them. They said, we'd love to come to church. And I went, oh, we can do church. Church is easy. They meant a service. Services, you know, it's, I know it's complicated, but it's not that. And so we were like, we set up a little church service for working for these, for our friends who worked as prostitutes. And for the first five weeks, no one came. No one came. And I, I kept saying to the team, Guys, it's really good. It's a good way just for us to get to hone what we're doing. You know, we get to practice and try and like keep it up. But deep down, I'm thinking this isn't gonna, this isn't, you know, it's like it's not working. And, uh, and then sixth week, 13 of them walked in. 
And we were like, and I remember looking at Tracy and she looked at me and we were quite emotional. And still am, I suppose. And I said to her after, I said, what, we, what was that about? And she said, you know what, it was worth five years. Just as for that one moment. And so they determined to persevere, to persevere, to keep going. My dad prays for 30 years. We pray for five years. The children of Israel pray for 400 years in Egypt. They determined to keep going, to not stop. Behind every history that you see, there's always a secret history of praying people. Behind every breakthrough, there's someone praying. Even what's happening in Asbury right now, there have been people praying for that for years and years and years. You know, people be like, oh, look, Brian's brother's come back to Jesus. You know, the victory's my dad's on his knees for 30 years. That's, what, that's where it happens. And I think I, I want to call it the art of perseverance in a culture of immediacy. I want to call it an art because it's beautiful. It's not the discipline of perseverance. It's the art of perseverance because there's some beauty in it, in persevering. And God's calling us to persevere right now. He wants to interrupt us, but he also wants us to keep going, to not give up, to consider their threats, Lord, but enable us to keep going, to not give up. And that's, yeah, that's what I felt the Lord wanted me to share with you this morning, that, that you would be open to his interruptions. I think you are. But also that you would not give up, that you would be a people of perseverance. Interestingly, after this all happened, it's, um, there's a quote, but I'm probably not going to use it actually, so don't put it up. But that sense that God, that God poured out his spirit like he did in Acts 2, it happened in Acts 4. It was like they couldn't rely on what had happened in Acts 2 to get them through. They needed a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. Acts 4, you, you're, the Pentecostal grace of Acts 2 didn't sustain them. God wants us to be continually dependent on him. Fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me. That's the call. So I want to pray, if that's okay. I hope that landed okay with you guys. I'm, I'm, I, I just feel something that God is doing in your midst. I see some of you being interrupted at work and offering to pray for people and you've never done it before and your heart is pounding and you're thinking they're going to think I'm a nut job, especially in a secular place like this. But God wants to interrupt, interrupt. There's some of you that God wants to interrupt around things that you need to say goodbye to. There's a quality of life issue here in Melbourne that everybody wants. I could see right now looking out that window, there's good places to be on a Sunday morning. Quality of life. You know, sometimes we have to say goodbye to these things. You know, I'm, I'm not saying, no, I am actually, yeah, you might have to say goodbye to it. It's, per, it's per, pervasive and it's good to say goodbye, interrupt to say goodbye, interrupt to pray with people. God is, and then the, the other thing is just like persevere. Don't give up, don't give up. So if you'd like to stand with me, is that okay? Can I, can I, I'd like to pray an impartation. Is that, that feels about the, the, the right spot right now. And, and at the end of this, uh, I know we're running a bit low on time, but at the end of this, if, there's, if you would love any prayer, I, I would really love to pray for anybody who's got children who are away from God and are worried about them. Because I was that boy. My dad prayed and I came as so well. I'd love to pray for you about that. But I just want to pray an impartation. Is that all right? Yeah. Father, 
I love this bit, God, because I don't have to do anything. You have to do everything. So good. <laughs> and God, we give it to you. But I just pray right now that you would interrupt this church like never before. Not in a chaotic way, but in a beautiful, gorgeous way, Lord, that you would come and interrupt. You'd interrupt people at work. You'd interrupt them outside the school gates. You'd interrupt them in the way that they offer prayer and the way they talk about you. You'd interrupt, Lord, the lifestyle choices that people are making right now, God. You'd come and you'd interrupt and you'd speak into identity right now. Come and be an interrupting God like you were to Peter and John on their way to the temple. And Father, I pray right now for a spirit of perseverance to fall on red church spirit of perseverance lord consider their threats but we give us the strength to boldly continue so father i pray right now that you would just you would put steel into this church to keep going to run with the vision to not give up come lord jesus spirit of perseverance atmosphere of interruption in jesus name Amen.